turn to our, our passage now in Matthew. I was with a, a, a group of friends driving around Europe one year, and there was all sorts of different health insurance you could get in different countries. And we'd gotten to Italy, and I got this roaring toothache, just the, just the pounding, pulsing of a toothache. And I was curled up, and when we checked the health insurance, it wasn't covered for Italy. And so I curled up in the back seat of the car in agony, and they drove to Germany, because we did have a health agreement with Germany. And we drove throughout the night, and we got to the dentist in Germany. And I, I went in, and she, she very kindly smiled at me with very, very, very little English, and I had no German. And she, she could see, I think, written all over my face the kind of night I'd had. And we went in to the dentist, and she did the usual you know, injecting all along the gum, and then comes the drill. And I, I, I've been to the dentist so many times, and I was, I was quite calm about all of this. This was fine. And, and I kind of relaxed, because I knew I'd been anaesthetized, and then came the drill. And the drill went in, and uh, I shot up out of the chair, and I actually balanced on two hands. I was in so much pain. The expectation was there would be no pain. But I, was, uh, I got a shock. She'd injected the wrong nerve. And she went straight into the wrong tooth. <laughs> and I leapt up. And the, nurse, the dentist assistant in the corner burst out laughing. Because the sight of me leaping out of this chair. And the dentist says, oh, oh, we got the wrong one. And laughed. I wasn't laughing. The expectation of what happened, the expectation of what would happen and what did happen were incredibly different. And, and I feel like when I look at this passage in Matthew, Jesus is being incredibly kind because he's, he's actually helping to clarify some expectations of what lies ahead for these, for these, um, for these dear men of faith. They, they were faithful people. Now, we know that the chapters and verses that are put on Scripture kind of came later. So it's always good to read around a little bit. And just before Matthew chapter 10, you've got Matthew 9. And Jesus is looking on a crowd and feeling compassion towards them. And it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, Matthew 9 to Matthew 10 is a turning point. It's a turning point from, from a training scheme to actually working. They're, they're coming to the, the practical part of their apprenticeship. They have been taught... They have witnessed a lot of different things. And here at this pivot point, Jesus has them look at these crowds. And, and his compassion, his compassion is toward the crowd. It is not, it's not a, 
a disinterested, oh, look at them, and a negative, castigating comment toward them. Jesus is looking with compassion on them, and he's looking at how harassed and helpless they are, like sheep without a shepherd. And he says, the harvest is plentiful. And he's having them look at the crowds. He's having them look at this harassed and and just helpless, lost group of people. And in some ways, he's saying, they're yours. They're your responsibility. I want you to look toward them. I want you to engage with the Lord of the harvest and say, Lord, the harvest is plentiful. Send more workers. Send more workers to them. And so this end of Matthew chapter 9 is a pivot point in the apprentice scheme. When I, when I studied uh, nursing in Belfast, I was a, a nurse for a number of years, and we had a three-week block. We weren't one of the university students. Later on, it became a university one. And you can imagine the attitudes of the old-style nurses towards the university students. It wasn't good. I was one of the old-style training where you had to work. Um, but you got three months, three weeks in class, and then you had three months on the wards. And in those days on the wards, you were a full member of the team. And I remember you, you, you went in, and it was like, it was so daunting. I remember I was placed first in a care of the elderly ward in Belfast. And I was so shocked. I was, I was so shocked. I had no idea. I had no idea. Um, I had no idea what to do. I'd been taught some things, but you don't know what to do until you've actually done it to some degree. You don't know how this is going to work out. And so here, they're coming to the end of their block course. They're coming to the end of witnessing what Jesus does, hearing what Jesus says, seeing the miracles, seeing transformation, diseases healed, um, people healed from uh, paralysis, all sorts of things. Demons being driven out. They'd also seen the criticism. They'd also seen the judgment by the religious, the, the Pharisees in their day. But now it's their time. And Jesus called them together. He called together these twelve and he gave them authority. Now, no, no believer goes out in their own strength. And no believer expects to achieve or see anything done in their own strength. And that's really made clear in Matthew 10. Jesus gathered them to himself. And through him, they were being enabled, enabled to do what they were going to do. So it is a point of transition. And this point comes for us all. For those of us in, in the, the Christian faith, we're at different stages. And we're in progressions from being disciples to being practitioners. From being learners to being teachers. From being hearers to being doers. There's some who aren't yet convinced that Jesus is the saviour of the world. They haven't quite enrolled in the course yet. They're, they're watching on the wings. They haven't realised how trustworthy Jesus actually is. But there's some who have. 
and they've said, I will trust Jesus. But they're struggling to move on from the hearing to the doing. They're struggling to move from, I am I'm someone who listens, to someone who actually acts in this faith. We're needing to grow in our understanding and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus here wasn't saying, you can follow me and do nothing throughout your Christian life. That wasn't an option for these disciples. Now, now they were getting thrown out of the nest as such. They were being sent out. And Jesus is helping them see some of the expectations around this. There is a danger in not moving from hearing to doing. This Christian faith was never meant to be a passive listening. Never. We were to be salt and light in the earth. There's no question of that in scripture. There's no question of that in how Jesus takes the disciples and moves them forward. There's also no question that we'll ever become worthy. We're not worthy. Christ is worthy of our worship. And he himself promises. He himself gives himself for us. So it's not that we earn anything. We respond. We respond to this amazing gospel, to this amazing privilege that's given to us. It can sound quite holy and almost religious to say, I'm not worthy and I wish I could be worthy. And I remember meeting a man, an elderly man in his 80s, who'd been in the church all his life. And he was coming to near the end of his life. And I sat with him. And and he says, oh, I don't think I've got long left. And I says, yes, but you've got everything to look forward to. And he says, yes, but I hope he finds me worthy. And I was, I was grieved by that. I says, it's not about your worthiness. You are made worthy by his work in your life. Jesus in, just encircles you with the cleansing of his own blood. You don't have to crawl and say, please, have I done enough? Am I okay? That's not, that was never the point of the gospel. The gospel was that Christ, through his sacrifice, poured out his blood that we could trust in him. And say, no, I've never said I'm worthy, but he is, and I trust him. Oh, it was such a sad day for me that day. And I sat, I thought, what am I doing? I'm with this, this man who's walked the faith so long. And yet he's, he's hesitantly going to face Jesus. And I said, no, don't go hesitant. Go confident. He is there. And he will receive you. There is, there is a need for, Paul talks about moving on from milk to meat. Um, there are those that can only take the milk, but it's time to move on to the meat. There's the, there's the baby stages and there's the maturing stages. Jesus here is taking his disciples from the baby milk and now he's going to test them out. The trainer wheels have come off the bike and now, yes, I'm just letting you know you're going to fall off the bike. You're going to scrape your knees, you're going to get pain and there's pain ahead for you. 
Jesus said, Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. And that's a, in a sense, a challenging passage. But the people, the people of Israel had been this body of faith that trusted in Yahweh. They trusted that there was one true God and they were waiting for the coming Messiah. This was a season where they were to hear, your Messiah has come. Now, did they respond? Not all of them. And even to this day, many are still waiting. But in that day, some did respond. And there's a sense of where this was the first wave of, of going out. Had to go and tell the people of Israel, your Savior has come, your Messiah has come. He is here. So they were told, go among the lost sheep of Israel. It's quite interesting that all 12 are named at this point. Um, be interesting to find your, your name is on a roll call. It raises expectations, doesn't it? It's really nice to be anonymous. Most of us like to be kind of anonymous. We don't want our names put up there. But if we were to say, okay, this week we're sending out, and I don't want to name anybody in this room because it'll embarrass somebody, but imagine I named 12 people who are going out this week. We would have an expectation. How did it go? Tell us how it went, what happened. And their, their training, their experience, their exercise of their faith would become part of our conversation. And these 12 are being named. What an amazing journey they were to have. I'd encourage you to look to what is known of the end of these disciples. What happened in their lives. It cuts against a lot of theology that we hear this, these days. I call it cereal box theology. Or meme theology. It just fits in a little square on Instagram. And uh, there's one in Glasgow. What's for you'll no go by you. Which is really just fatalism. We were meant to step into faith. We were meant to step out of boats. We were meant to step into difficult situations. Not just passively observe and wait to see what will happen. And here Jesus is sending them. He says, go to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Calls them to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Can't imagine what these men and Matthew was 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 the last of the the group really to be named as joining the group, and he'd been a tax collector up to this point. And all of a sudden he's being told, "Now you tax collector, you're going to go and proclaim to the house of Israel their Messiah has come, and you're going to heal the sick, raise the dead." Cleanse those who have leprosy and drive out demons. Are we really going to do that? They must have thought to themselves. Now there's a, a phrase that's attached to verse 8. And I wonder if it's meant to be attached to verse 9. It says, freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. There being challenged as a, as a body of men to step out in faith and to let go of the things that were dependable. Having, having a wallet full of cash 
certainly feels a lot better when you're going out on the road. Or at least having your plastic card in your wallet feels better as you go out onto the road. But they're being told, leave behind your plastic cards. Leave behind your resources. Leave behind your mobile phone. Because you can pay with that now too. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. They're being told go with this little because I am going to be with you. Go not because you have all the resources. Go trusting in Jesus that he will provide along the way. What a challenge it must have been to them. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. Very often that's been a, that's been a part of mission work uh, around the world. They've looked at this concept of the person of peace. Going into a community with no Christians whatsoever and seeing is there anyone who will welcome with peace the, the, the Christian who comes in. And following this to the letter, basically saying, if they welcome you, stay with them. But if they won't welcome you, or if there is no peace, then don't stay there. Move on. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or time and shake the dust off your feet. We are not responsible for the outcomes and we can't dictate the outcomes. And that's one of our challenges as well. Sometimes we think, if only I said that better, if only I did that better, if only I was more this and if only I was more that. And somehow losing sight of the fact we were sent as sheep among wolves. We were to expect something different. We weren't to expect it all to be easy and we weren't to expect everybody to respond well. Jesus is telling his own intimate followers, don't expect it to go well. Expect the dentist to drill into the wrong tooth. Expect there to be pain ahead. I'm sending you out, in verse 16, like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. There's much more in Matthew 10, and I would encourage you to read further in Matthew 10. Because it changes the expectation of the believer. The believer is to expect opposition, is to expect persecution, is to expect divisions even within their own families. It's not a shock. Jesus is saying, if you know what to expect, it won't be a shock. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. I think part of the cereal box theology or the meme theology that we don't hear is that this faith was meant to be costly. 
And one of the songs we just sang, Jesus, I my cross have taken. Jars a little bit, maybe. Because we haven't got a strong concept of taking our own cross. Jesus says, unless a man takes up his cross and follows me, he is not worthy of me. And some of our songs and worship songs and mean theologies say, Jesus, Jesus took my cross. It's not accurate. Jesus took the cross. He paid the price. But he told us as followers to take up our own cross. We really embraced the fact that there was going to be challenges ahead. In 1995, Joyce and I went to visit Afghanistan for the first time. We arrived in on the air in the airstrip in Kabul, at Kabul Airport. And as we went down, as we landed, and this boy from Belfast was more excited, uh, possibly than the girl from Lewis as we landed and went down the runway. And either side of the runway were bombed out planes, airplanes. Not something you like to see. It's not a comforting sight at an airport, is to see all these bombed out planes all the way along the runway. And crashes and whatever. We got out of the airport, and the people met us. And we could already hear rockets landing, and we could hear gunfire. There was no room in the vehicle for me, and the luggage, so Joyce was in the vehicle, I was in the back of the pickup truck, lying on top of the luggage, driving through Kabul, and I could hear rockets landing and I could hear gunfire. It took us about, we were there for four weeks, and by the end of that time we had a real peace that this is what we were coming back to. And the following year our first child was born and we were getting ready to go back to Afghanistan. Except it wasn't that Afghanistan we went back to. The, the Taliban had taken the city and had indeed taken the whole country, more or less. And we were looking at one of the harshest Islamic regimes in the world. And it was hard. That was a hard day for us. It wasn't what we were expecting. But we had to find us a peace with that. We were, maybe it's my Belfast upbringing, I was kind of more ready for a war than I was for that. That was hard. And it took, us, it took us a while in prayer to find our peace with going back into Afghanistan and to live there. And we lived there for 12 years. Own the expectations that God has given us. Embrace them. He has our best in mind, but not just ours. He looks with compassion on those who need a shepherd. And if we are to take up a cross for their sake, hallelujah, let's do that. Let's not shrink back and say, I want the safe zone. I want to stay away from that. He loves them as much as he loves me. Why shouldn't he take the faith he's deposited in me and use that for the well-being of others? Why shouldn't he take the faith he's deposited in us and make that costly in our lives that we follow the pattern that Jesus has given us. So, when Jesus said, um, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child, children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. 
You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. He's saying embark on this journey with your eyes wide open. Count the cost. Embrace the feel of the cross that Christ is giving you. And do not shrink back. Let's pray. Our Father and Lord, I look at what you did through these men. I look at what you did through this body of believers. And it's astounding. We sit here today because of the echo of their faithful proclamation of the gospel. They did not shrink back. Many of them died such brutal deaths. But they counted it a privilege to share in the sufferings of Christ. I love when Paul wrote, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I thank you, Lord, for such as him who leaned in and not leaned back from a life of faith and a life of service. Lord, help us to change our expectations. Change our expectations of what this journey is about. Yes, we will lose friends. Yes, we will be mocked. And we can say hallelujah. Jesus told us it would be so. Help us, Lord, not to be those who are afraid and shrink back, but those who step forward in faith, that you might receive all the glory, that Jesus might be lifted up, and that the bride of Christ might be made ready for the return of the groom.